Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning. I think Brian was a little prophetic with his uh, video last week about the cool weather coming in, eh? It can be windy and cool in April. Really, it was a blizzard yesterday. But spring is coming. I am sure of it. And this morning, uh, we're going to continue in the uh, theme of Easter, the warmth of Easter. And we're going to talk about uh, the warmth of the Holy Spirit So it might be cold and snowing outside, but it's going to be warm in here this morning. We're going to celebrate or continue to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to consider a passage of scripture that gives an account of two men on the very first Easter Sunday. This passage of scripture, as we go through it, We're going to see not just Jesus, but we're going to see the Father and the Holy Spirit, the triune God throughout this passage. We're going to see distinctly the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, open them. We're going to be in Luke 24. I'm going to stay there really for just about all of our scripture this morning. And it's uh, somewhat of a lengthy passage But I want to go through the entire narrative of these two men in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. If you have uh, your electronic devices, you can follow along, or we'll be having the scripture up here on the screen. Just a little bit of a background before I open up the Gospel of Luke. It's the first Easter Sunday. Jesus Christ has risen triumphantly out of the tomb. And there's quite a buzz in the city of Jerusalem. Some women have gone down to the tomb. They found it empty. They've seen a vision of angels. They've come back to report what they've seen. A couple of other of the apostles ran down and found the tomb empty, but they didn't find Jesus. And now everyone's talking. What's happened? So I'm going to begin Luke 24, verse 13. It says, now that same day, that's the first Easter. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And I want to stop right there. So there's these two men walking along the road. It's the very first Easter Jesus has definitely risen. The city's all talking about it. They were in Jerusalem, these two. And they're on their way to this little town called Emmaus, outside of Jerusalem. And Emmaus, it means warm springs. So they're on their way to a warm place. And it said that along the road that there was actually a hot spring where 
travelers could stop and take a warm bath. So these two disciples are walking along this road. They had been in Jerusalem. They're talking about everything that went on. They were followers of Jesus. They had heard what had happened. Now they start this journey. It's about a few hours walk. It's, uh, we read, about seven miles to Jerusalem. So that would take several hours to walk at a, you know easy pace. And these two, Luke gives us the name of one, Cleopas. And there's something interesting in this name, Cleopas. It's the one and the only time we read this name in our Bible. One verse, that's it. So what do we know about this man? It's just what we have in this short passage. We don't know anything more about him except what's here and the meaning of his name. And it's an interesting meaning. Cleopas is a compound word. It's from Cleos, which in Greek means glory, and potter, which means father. So the formal name would be Cleopatros, and it means the glory of the father. And this version of it, Cleopas, is somewhat of a contraction, a shortened version. And to the Greeks, it meant of a renowned father. So what's the name of the other person? Luke doesn't tell us. We're given no name. And I wondered, as Luke, who was somewhat of a, an investigative journalist, he opens, his, uh, he opens his gospel by saying he investigated all these things and he heard from eyewitnesses. And I wondered if maybe he just left that name out on purpose. And he wants the reader to put a name there next to Cleopas. A name of someone else who could be called son or daughter of a renowned father. And that's everyone in this room this morning. Every single one of us. We have a renowned father. Our father who art in heaven. We are, we are his children. We are his sons and daughters. We can call out to him, Abba, Father. We have this Renowned Father. So put your name in there and imagine you're walking next to Cleopas. Imagine you're there in the first century and you're taking this walk with him from Jerusalem to Emmaus with your friend. It's the spring of the year. The day for them would likely be warm and bright, unlike what we're experiencing here. And you have a heavy heart. Your hearts are a little down. You've got a few hours walk to this town. And you're discussing what's gone on the past weekend. Your heart's heavy because your Lord, the one you followed, has been crucified. And he, he, he's been put into a tomb. But now you're hearing this story that the tomb is empty and... Uh, what's really going on? Your faith is being tested. But remember, you have a renowned father. His hand is on you. He's looking out for you as you walk along the road. He knows about your doubts and your fears and your frustrations. And he's with you. And that's 
continue. Let's continue in this narrative. I'm going to read, reread verses 17 and 18 and continue through Luke 24. So Jesus come alongside these two and he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what he had said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So these two men, Cleopas and his friend, they were followers of Jesus. They had been with the the apostles and other disciples in Jerusalem. They had heard the testimony that the women brought about the resurrection. And they walked along the road. Their topic was Jesus. Their conversation was Jesus. And suddenly Jesus is walking right there with them. And yet they did not recognize him. Evidently Jesus looked somewhat different than he had looked before. They didn't recognize him. And I suppose this can happen when we have a resurrected body. I'm somewhat looking forward to it. I somewhat have a vision of it already. A good elder of our church, Mike Choir, took a photo of Julie and I. And out of the goodness of his heart, he made a print and put it in our welcome center. Now, when I look at that, I don't recognize the guy there. Now, Julie looks, I think, very nice. I don't think Mike had to really do too much work on her. But me, I'm looking at I don't recognize that guy. I said, Mike, wow, you, you must have Photoshop. You have done something. I'm looking forward to looking like that one day. I think he took about 20, 30 years off of me. And it looks great. I don't recognize myself. So I can understand these men, they're walking along. Jesus comes along. He's got a resurrected body, a glorified body. They don't recognize him. And he asks these two depressed, dispirited travelers, what are you talking about? And they stopped in their tracks. They stopped right there. And they're incredulous. Who are you? Are you the only one in Jerusalem? 
who doesn't know what's going on? Haven't you heard? Haven't you heard about Jesus and all the uproar and they crucified him? And now they're saying his, his tomb is empty and we thought he was the one. We, he was powerful in word. He was powerful indeed. Evidently, they had witnessed these things. And now some of the women, they say he's raised from the dead. Our friends say they checked it out, but the, they can't find him. Yeah, they had followed Jesus. They had experienced Jesus. They had witnessed miracles of Jesus. But now they're suffering a crisis in their faith. They are doubting. And they're face to face with the risen Lord. And they don't recognize him. The very first words out of his mouth. How foolish you are. And slow to believe all that was spoken by the prophets. Imagine that. That hurts. Ouch, that hurts. I shudder to think. If I were to come face to face with Jesus. That I wouldn't recognize him. And I would not want his very first words to be how foolish you are and how slow to believe. But this is what Jesus said to these two. And then he did something. He began to teach them. He began to teach them the word. Because they had not believed the scriptures. So Jesus began to teach him, and he began, it says, at Moses. That's the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. He went back to the beginning. And from there, through the rest of the Old Testament, he begins to enlighten these two. What can we take from this? What can we learn from this exchange between these two and Jesus? We believe in Jesus. We've sung the song. We believe that he is Lord. We believe that he's our Savior. We can believe in Jesus. We can have experiences with Jesus. But we can still miss in an encounter with Jesus. We need more than just experience. Experience without knowing the word leaves us with questions and unanswered questions. These men had experienced the presence of Jesus, but they were lacking knowledge and understanding of his word. And they were confused and they were questioning and they were doubting. But Jesus began to teach them and he began to show them through the scripture of the Old Testament. He instructed them in the word of God, revealing how God's word pointed to Jesus' birth and pointed to his ministry and his rejection and his ultimate uh, execution on the cross, his sacrifice in the giving of his life for all of humankind. Jesus walked these two men, perhaps for a few hours, walking them through the scripture. And I want to summarize some of the things he might have brought up to them because he had some time. Now, I'm just going to hurry through it. But you'll see, his word points to him. His word is about him. If we take the topic of his birth, on the subject of Jesus' birth, there are all kinds of Old Testament scriptures, and I just give you a few. That he'd be born of a woman, 
That's Genesis chapter 3. He'd be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. He'd be born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. He'd be of the line of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And you can read about that in Genesis 12 and 17, 21, 22, Numbers 24. Jesus would be of the clan of Judah, Genesis 49. He would be called the Lion of Judah and the scepter would never leave his hand. And there would be a massacre at his birthplace. Jeremiah 31, 15 gives us the prophecy about the mother mourning for her children. And he would go into and then out of Egypt. Hosea 11.1, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I have called my child. So his birth, predicted, pointed to in the Old Testament, his ministry and his rejection was also talked about in the Old Testament. I can imagine Jesus breaking the word to these two. A messenger would prepare the way. Do you remember John the Baptist, Isaiah 40, verse 3 through 5, talk about the one whose voice is crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Maybe they remembered John the Baptist. Malachi 4 talks about it too. Jesus was going to be a prophet like Moses. He was going to speak in parables. Perhaps they remembered how Jesus spoke in parables. That was prophesied in Psalm 78 and Isaiah 6. And Jesus came to declare good news, Isaiah 61. He would be rejected by his people. Psalm 69 and Isaiah 53. We read Isaiah 53 on Good Friday. Despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That's our Jesus. On his betrayal and his crucifixion. I'm sure Jesus talked about this, that he would be betrayed by a friend. Psalm 41 verse 9 says just that, a close friend would betray him. Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And Zechariah chapter 11 says that specifically for 30 pieces of silver that would go for a potter's field. And that's what occurred. Jesus was silent before his accusers. Again, Isaiah 53, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shepherd is silent, so was Jesus. Perhaps he, re- he reminded them, were you there? Did you see me? Or did you see him? Silent before Pilate. Jesus crucified with criminals, Isaiah 53. He was numbered with transgressors, that says. He was given vinegar to drink. Psalm 69 tells us that. His hands and feet were pierced. That's Psalm 22. Read all of Psalm 22. It's all about Jesus. In Zechariah chapter 12, he was mocked and ridiculed. Psalm 22, and his clothes were divided. Again, that's Psalm 22. They divided my garments. And for my clothes, they cast lots. But it wasn't just his ministry and his death and his crucifixion, but I'm sure he talked a little about the resurrection. Psalm 2 says, You are my son. Today I have begotten thee. The apostles quoted that scripture 
to refer to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Psalm 2-7. He'd be the king in the line of David, Isaiah 55. Not abandoned to the grave. He would not see decay. That's Psalm 16. And he was going to sit at the right hand of God the Father. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. I imagine that Jesus used all of these and many more. The Old Testament is full of Scripture. You can't go through a book of the Old Testament without finding Jesus. You can hardly go through a page of the Old Testament without finding Jesus, something that refers to him. And this is why knowing the Word of God is crucial. This is why it's critical. The Word reveals Jesus Christ. It's entirely possible that Jesus could appear to you today, that he could begin to talk to you and walk right next to you in a visible form. I believe that. I believe it's entirely possible. But it's not the norm. It isn't what usually occurs. You can read through the New Testament to find that the church was built by preaching of the word. Jesus appeared to his disciples for 40 days and then he was ascended into heaven. And then preaching began. The word of God showing Jesus Christ from the word. This is what the apostles did. We come to know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. He's revealed to us through his living word. It's powerful and it's active. You can't go through the Bible without seeing it, without getting to know Jesus. The New Testament reveals his life and his death and his ascension and a glorious future when he's going to return. We need to know it. We need knowledge and understanding of his word. All of it. The word, it was beginning to work in the hearts of these two. It was beginning to penetrate. And as the sun grew low in the sky, they were approaching the city. And let's conclude the account of these two men with Jesus. I'm going to reread verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven. And those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So these two, these two men, sons of a renowned father, sons of the living God, they encountered the risen son. And they've been taught the importance of knowing his word. Their eyes have now been opened wide. They recognized who Jesus was. And he vanished from their sight. Yet he remained there with them. 
And he remained in the form of the bread in the cup that he was breaking right then and there for them. And they discovered a newfound strength in their faith, didn't they? No more doubting. No more downcast. No more depression. No, this was their eureka moment. This is where the light turned on for them. This is where they got it. And they got it so much that as Jesus opened up the scriptures to them, they felt something going on inside their hearts. Something began to kindle inside their hearts. The word of God was powerful. And as they heard the words, their hearts began to burn within them. And they were set afire and ablaze with an energy they had never experienced. And although the coming of the Holy Spirit in a visible form was not to occur for about another seven weeks, where the Holy Spirit would be poured out in a sign of tongues of fire that would come upon the heads of those who were there on the feast day of Pentecost, these disciples, they received an early visitation of the warming glow of the presence of the Holy Spirit. To me, I see it as a precursor to the outpouring, the full outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Only a few days earlier, only a few days earlier, the night before he was to be crucified, Jesus had said these words to his disciples in John 15. He said, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all distinct, and yet they are one. And yet they were one in this experience with these two who are on the road to Emmaus. And it shows us a picture of the triune God. And and I think it's summarized well in Galatians chapter 4, where Paul says in verse 6, because you are his sons, you are renowned sons. God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. I believe the Father had his hand on these two long before they started on that road, but he continued to have his hand on them as they walked along the road. And the Son of God, in the form of the risen Jesus Christ, brought them the Word, and he revealed himself to them through the Word. And the Holy Spirit who goes out from the the Father penetrated their hearts. And, And they heard the truth, and their hearts began to flame up. They were ablaze with the fire of the Spirit. They were different. John the Baptist spoke of a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. We oftentimes refer to this baptism of fire as a test, a trial, an ordeal, a hardship, something to make us stronger. Well, in this instance, these two were being tested. They were depressed. They were down. Their hopes were dashed. But in an afternoon stroll, they encountered Jesus. And by true revelation of his word, the Holy Spirit had penetrated their beings and their hearts were baptized, as it were, in sort of like an incense sensor of the Spirit. And they were lit on fire, burning so hot that they couldn't sit still. Straight away they got up and it didn't matter that the sun had gone down. It didn't matter that it was dark out now. It didn't matter that they had already walked seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They turned right around and they were going to walk seven miles 
miles back to Jerusalem. I imagine they weren't walking anymore, that they were running because they were on fire and they were feeling the burn of the Holy Spirit in their heart and nothing was going to stop them and nothing was going to keep them from sharing the word of God and his good news. Back in Jerusalem, they went and they found the 11 apostles. They must have had to wake them up. Hey, get up! Get up. We got something to tell you. It's true. It is true. The Lord has risen. For sure he's appeared to Peter. We saw him ourselves. Two men, this Cleopas and his friends, or his friend, had encountered Jesus. And they were on fire. They were on fire. We've all got the same father. We all have the same father, the same great, wonderful, renowned father. He truly sent his son, and he has given his spirit. Have you learned of him? Has Jesus been revealed to you through his word? Are you still learning? Are you still learning more about him day by day? Is your heart burning? Is your heart burning? Or is it just a little ember? Could it use a little spark? Is there any part of you that feels that if you met Jesus face to face today, he might say, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. Do you have doubts? Do you have some questions that haven't been answered? Or you're here this morning and you have come to know Jesus through his word and you've got the fire, but you're yearning for a deeper burn. You want more of what the Holy Spirit has. You want more of what Jesus has. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to spark your heart this morning. I want you to get a fire burning in your heart this morning that'll warm your soul. I want you to be able to leave this sanctuary this morning different than when you walked in, emboldened and energized like these two disciples were, able to testify about Jesus Christ in a way that you have never done before. Able to walk up to people and say, it's true, I know it's true, and let me tell you why it's true. I'll take you from Moses all the way through the prophets, and I'll show you Jesus Christ. He's alive, and he's real, and it's true. And if you desire a little bit more of the Holy Spirit this morning, if you desire that spark to come up inside you, I'm just going to invite you to stand right now. Any, any one of you, if you want to stand, I want to pray with you. I'll, I want to ask the Lord to touch your hearts. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want your heart to be aflame this morning when you leave. We're going we're gonna to ask the Holy Spirit just to rain down on this sanctuary, to rain down on all of us and to touch our hearts this morning. I don't think it was a coincidence that these men had their eyes open when Jesus broke the bread. When he broke the bread, they saw it's Jesus. And this morning, we're going to break the bread. If you haven't seen Jesus yet this morning, I invite you to the table. The table of the Lord is open. It's open to all who call on him as Lord and Savior who have yielded their life to Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a member of Bethesda Christian Church to sit down at the communion table with us this morning. But we just ask that you have 
made that commitment to Christ and you call on him as Lord and Savior. And you may be seated and even you at the altars, if you want to stay, that's fine. If uh, you still want to pray, we can, we can serve you communion right there. But as our elders and our deacons prepare to serve communion, let's look at this great illustration. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence here. As we look at this, this illustration, when their eyes were open, they were listening intently to Jesus. And I hope you were listening this morning. And, and even as I went through all those scriptures so quickly, that you saw Jesus and the Old Testament word. But their eyes were open when they saw the bread. The bread's a sign. The bread's a symbol. You're going to receive it in a moment. And when you receive it, just hold on to it because we want to bless it together. But it's a, it's a symbol. It signifies something greater than what it is. There is a greater truth communicated through that broken piece of bread that you're going to be holding this morning. When something is complex and mysterious, oftentimes it's communicated through a sign or a symbol. When Reverend Julie opened the service this morning, she said, forever. Don't we look forward to being with him forever? And she said, I can't wrap my mind around it. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around forever. Infinity is something that is difficult to understand. It's complex. You can come up with a number in your head, but you can always add one more. And then it hurts because you're never going to make it to infinity. You're never going to make it to forever. But we've got a sign. We have a symbol for it. So when we see it, it helps us to understand the complex or to, to take in the complex. It's just a sort of like a number eight that's fallen over on its side. That's infinity. Thank you. When we see a sign like that, it communicates to us something that's incomprehensible, like infinity. I, w- I wear a wedding ring. It's a symbol. It's, it's a sign. And it communicates something far greater than just a wedding ceremony. Far greater than the day that I stood at the altar and said, I do. It signifies a bond. It signifies a marriage. It communicates a covenant and promises and fidelity and a deep abiding union. It's a symbol of something far greater than just that wedding day. When Cleopas and his friend saw Jesus break the bread, they saw Jesus. The sign, the symbol, it communicated something far greater. And although Jesus vanished from their sight, he was still there. His presence, his presence. Oh, we need more of your presence, Lord. We want more of your presence, Lord. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience more of your goodness and presence. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for breaking your body for us and giving us these things like the bread and the cup as a sign. We don't have to have Jesus resurrected and standing next to us. 
we've got the presence of his spirit. The reminder that he's given us his life as a sacrifice for our sin, his broken body. I hope it's burning in you this morning. I hope it's touched your heart. And if you came in here cold, that the flame of the Holy Spirit has begun something inside you. And you're experiencing the true presence. Let it be your story this morning. Let the story of the risen Jesus be your story this morning. And I pray someone crosses your path that's never heard it and you can share it. Let's close with a blessing. You can raise your hands for the blessing. Father, thank you for this great and glorious morning in the presence of your spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you. God, may it be our story. May it be our song to talk about you, Jesus, our risen Savior, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Thank you, God. Now bless all your people, Lord. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon each one and grant them peace, God. And may the peace of Jesus Christ, our living Savior, keep every heart and every mind and every soul in his name. Amen.